The following podcast is not meant for children or for liberals, even though that's pretty much the same thing these days, but that's what we're here for. Somebody's got to keep these brats in line. Anyway, you've been warned. It's the right opinion. These days, our media's either incompetent or malevolent. They don't believe in heaven, but they acting like they haven't sent. Knowing the truth is way harder than telling it. We gotta work harder, gotta be more intelligent. Sometimes we just gotta grab a mic and start yelling shit. We're living in times when it's hard to stay relevant. Be the elephant in the room in a room full of elephants. Be the elephant in the room in a room full of elephants. Boom. Welcome back to The Right Opinion Right here on the rightopinion.podbean.com, hameenmediagroup.podbean.com, and ratsaladreview.com, as well as your podcatchers of choice out there, iTunes, Google Play, Amazon, whatever the fuck, I'm out there, and I'm probably in more places than I even know, because the internet is weird like that. Speaking of weird, we are here. We have arrived. It is the election preview extravaganza right here on the Right Opinion I feel like every moment of my life for the last four years has been built up to this moment right here. Not necessarily the election, but this very podcast. To tell you I have lost sleep over this podcast and this election would be an understatement. I really, really have. I've I've sat up late at night running through all the scenarios, many of which I will be breaking out for you on this podcast, but it's time to sit down and Really look at the numbers, look at the possibilities, look at the potential future timelines for my future, for my uh, you know tra- time travelers out there, and try to assess what is going to happen in this election, 2020, arguably the most important election in the history of humankind. And so where do we start? Where do we even start? How about we start in 2016? Donald Trump becomes the president. Against all conceivable odds, some were going as far as to saying he had a 1, if not a 0% chance of achieving the presidency of the United States. And four years later, we all know that was very, very, very false. So how did he get there? Well, the polls were obviously very wrong uh, in a lot of cases. Nationally, you know what, to to the polls' credit, they, they pretty much came within the margin of error. Donald Trump did not win the popular vote, as many know. The polls were saying Donald Trump would not win the popular vote in that respect. They were correct. That said, the Electoral College is how we select our president, not the popular vote, despite the musings of the of the left in an attempt to potentially get rid of the Electoral College. And in order to win via Electoral College, you need to have 270 electoral votes. Donald Trump achieved 306 in 2016 to Hillary Clinton's 232. Although I believe that is simply how it broke out on election night because there were, I think, somewhere between six and eight rogue electors, meaning people that were meant to go and cast their electoral vote in accordance with the popular vote of the state slash region that they represent, and some did not. As a matter of fact, at least one, I believe, cast an electoral vote for Bernie Sanders. So technically, Bernie Sanders, I believe, got an electoral vote the last time around, at least one. So moving into what happened in 2016 here, I'm gonna I'm looking at the map. I'm gonna kind of go from west to east, I guess, here and break out where Donald Trump picked up votes. Then I'll go through Hillary's votes. Then we'll talk about some of the scenarios for 2020. Fair enough. 
Too bad. It's my fucking show. So from west to east, let's go with the red states first. We had, obviously, Alaska, red state, Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, Utah, Arizona. Arizona is going to be a contentious one this time around, but nevertheless, it went into Donald Trump's coffers the last time around. North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, Kansas, Oklahoma, and good old Texas. If, by the way, the next person that tells me Texas is a swing state is getting punched in the face. If you'd like to uh, be punched in the face, feel free to swing by New Jersey and uh, hit your boy up and tell me that Texas is a swing state because I cannot stand it anymore. If Texas is a swing state, we're all doomed, and I refuse to believe that's the case. Moving on from there, Iowa, Missouri, Arkansas, Louisiana, Wisconsin, which was one that many people didn't see coming, Michigan, another one that didn't necessarily... Uh, that, that many pollsters, with the exception of the Trafalgar group, didn't see coming. Uh, Indiana, Ohio, Kentucky, Tennessee, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, another one that's potentially contentious this time around, although I have my doubts. Florida, obviously the big one down south there. Oh, good old America's Wang. And then, and then uh, South Carolina, North Carolina. I believe I said Ohio, but if not, I will say it again. West Virginia, Pennsylvania, and one district in Maine. That gave Donald Trump the 306 electoral votes. And let me just run through the blue ones real quick. Obviously, Hawaii for Hillary Clinton, Washington, Oregon, Nevada, which is up for grabs this time around, I believe. California, obviously, went to uh, the blue. Colorado, New Mexico, Minnesota, which Trump barely lost. As a matter of fact, I believe it went to Hillary Clinton by about 40,000 votes. So maybe that could change this time around. I have it in the toss-up category personally. Illinois, obviously, always goes blue. Good old Chicago's enough to carry them through there. Virginia, Maryland, Delaware, New Jersey, Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, Vermont, New Hampshire, and Maine. Basically, the entire Northeast goes blue, and that gives Hillary Clinton 213 electoral votes. So, where does that bring us for 2020? So, after some careful analysis and looking at a lot of the big-time pollsters out there, at least to kind of get a framework for what I'm looking at here. I set up a nice spreadsheet. By the way, the link to this spreadsheet is in the show notes. It's a Google Sheets document. You can view it. I believe if you have the link, you should be able to just look at it. If not, find me on Twitter, Parler, or Instagram at RightOpinionPod. I'll be happy to give you a better link or screenshots or whatever we got to do to make this happen. If you're interested, I'm more than happy to provide the information to you. So, I created a baseline. I went through everything that we just talked about, 2016, how that went. And then I'm looking at some of the swing states that many of the pollsters are considering swing states at this particular moment in the game. I'm narrowed my, I have narrowed my list down to nine swing states. Many are talking about 11 swing states because they're putting Texas in that category as well as Georgia. I'm, I'm ignoring that altogether. I believe Texas and Georgia will stay red and, uh, and, and, if they don't, we're all doomed anyway, right? So for the, for the sake of at least having a competition here, I believe Texas and Georgia are going to remain red, which leaves us to nine particular states that will decide this whole thing, according to many of the experts, including the Trafalgar Group, which is which is somebody I'm siding with more so only because of their accuracy in 2016 and in 2018, the only polling group to have Ron DeSantis winning in Florida, where everyone else said Andrew Gillum the uh, the you know the meth head with the gay orgies was going to win. Not that there's anything wrong with gay orgies, except for when you add meth to the mix. And uh, 
That guy was projected to be the governor of Florida, and Ron DeSantis ended up winning. Thank God for Florida, because Ron DeSantis's leadership has been tremendous down there, particularly during this pandemic. So we have the baseline of, like I said, basically everything breaking out the way that it did last time, with the exception of these nine states pushed off to the side. Those nine states are Arizona, Florida, Michigan, Minnesota, Nevada, North Carolina, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. Those are the nine states, according to the Bergeron model, that are going to decide this presidential election. So, assuming everything else shakes out the way that it did the last time around, here's where we are. We've got Trump winning Alaska, Trump winning um, Alabama. We have Arizona wide open, as it's one of those states. Arkansas to Trump, California to Biden, Colorado to Biden, Connecticut to Biden, D.C. has three electoral votes, they go to Biden, Delaware, Biden's home state, blue as blue gets anyway, go to Biden. Florida's wide open. Then we have Georgia, I'm giving to Trump, 16 electoral votes. Hawaii goes blue, as always, goes to Biden, four electoral votes. I'm not going to go with the whole count, I'll give you the total at the end here. Idaho stays with Trump, Illinois stays with the Democrats, Indiana stays with the Republicans. And then I have Iowa, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, all going Trump. And then Maine splits their four electoral votes uh, by there's two districts, basically. One gets three, one gets one. I have the one going to Trump as it did last time and the three going to Biden as they went to Hillary last time. Maryland goes blue. Massachusetts, to no one's surprise, goes blue. Michigan and Minnesota are toss-ups, or at least um, swing states, battleground states, if you will. Then we go to Mississippi, Missouri, Montana, and Nebraska all go to Trump. Then we have Nevada is one of those battleground states. New Hampshire, New Jersey, New Mexico, and New York all go to the Democrats. No real surprise there. Then we have North Carolina is one of the battleground states. North Dakota goes to Trump. Ohio, battleground state. Oklahoma goes to Trump. Oregon goes to uh, to Biden in this particular case, as, as it will probably forever and always to the Democrats. Pennsylvania, battleground state. Rhode Island goes blue. South Carolina, South Dakota, Tennessee, Texas, and Utah all go to Trump. Vermont, Virginia, Washington all go to Biden. Then we have West Virginia going to Trump. Wisconsin is one of the battleground states. And Wyoming going to Trump. Where does that lead us? This is my baseline. This is everything that you will hear pretty much from this point forward is based around this math. Based on everything I just told you, we have Biden 216, Trump 187. And that brings us into our battleground states. There are nine of them, as I've mentioned. So let's go to worst case scenario or otherwise known as the best case scenario for Joe Biden. And in this case, because we are going absolute best case scenario for Joe Biden, I did flip Georgia over to Biden. So we have, this is like absolute best case in the craziest of timelines. Joe Biden goes on the biggest landslide he could conceivably go on. This is what we're looking at. So I did flip Georgia to Biden just for the purposes of this best case scenario for Biden. And then from there, all of those swing states go to Biden with the exception of Florida and Ohio, which I still believe without a shadow of a doubt, are going to Donald Trump. So 
if he wins every other swing state and picks up Georgia, Joe Biden ends up at 320 electoral votes to Donald Trump's 218. Joe Biden is obviously president in this best-case scenario for Biden. So what is the best-case scenario for Trump? Mind you, Joe Biden, in his best-case scenario, has 320 electoral votes. So let's go over to best-case scenario for Trump. Mind you, uh, or my apologies, rather, for the clicking. If you're hearing, I am going through a, a couple different spreadsheets. I'm usually pretty good about not clicking through stuff while, while the audio is going, but it's just unavoidable this week due to the nature of the show. So we move on to best-case scenario for Donald Trump. This is the scenario where... In this particular instance, I did flip New Hampshire over to Trump because I do think that's a, a bit of a toss-up leaning Biden at the moment. All the polls are indicating a massive Biden lead. Trafalgar is looking at it as a mini Minnesota. So I think Trump will ultimately pull really close in New Hampshire, but probably won't win it, which is why that didn't factor into my baseline. But in this case, best case scenario, I'm giving it to Trump. So Trump gets New Hampshire and all of the battleground states with the exception of Wisconsin, which unfortunately I do think is lost even in the best cases of scenarios for Trump. But in this scenario, he wins New Hampshire, Arizona, Florida, Michigan, Minnesota, Nevada, North Carolina, Ohio, and Pennsylvania. Wisconsin goes to Biden, which again is pretty much the only one of these battleground states that I'm assured going is going to Biden. I just, I believe that in my heart of hearts, the polls just look like they're too far. We would have started to see some movement um, in particular, in the wake of the Kenosha riots, and that just never manifested because for some reason people haven't quite connected the fact that these rioters are all Biden supporters. Um, and, and for some reason, that just doesn't seem to have registered with the good folks of Wisconsin. I'm sure you're fine people, but apparently not all that bright. Sorry, had to be said. Nevertheless, uh, the good people of Wisconsin will unfortunately be voting for Joe Biden in, in all of my scenarios across the board. So assuming Biden wins Wisconsin and Trump wins everything else, including New Hampshire, we are looking at a best-case scenario for Donald Trump of 316 electoral votes. As, as awesome as that would be, because I would love to make t-shirts that say Trump 316 and sell a boatload of them, um, I, I think that's a best-case scenario that is just way too flowery for even yours truly, who has all the hope in the world that Donald Trump will probably pull this out. Having said that, I'm going to wait until I get to my final board here to give you the official prediction and the electoral breakdown and all that stuff. So stay tuned. All right. So we've got best case scenario for Biden, 320. Best case scenario for Trump, 316. In all honesty, folks, I think it will be virtually impossible for either one of these candidates to breach 300 electoral votes. This thing is going to be a nail biter. We're looking at something like you know, 275 to 265 to, you know, something in that neck of the woods. Not that that math breaks out that way exactly, but I think we are going to be looking at this for probably another couple of weeks. The mail-in votes will be a thing. The rogue electors will potentially factor in the closer the actual electoral count is, because if you only have to switch, you know, two or three electors, you can imagine what the left-wing campaign will be to hunt these people down and shame them unless they change their electoral vote um, you, you can, you just know that's going to be a thing. Plus that we're going to have the Supreme court eventually being factored into all of this. Amy Coney Barrett could potentially be the deciding vote. Will anyone on the left ever let that go? You can rest assured they will not. So I'm just looking at this election from the election on Tuesday. There are going to be many factors that factor in between 
the the election on November 3rd and when uh, the electors have to cast their official ballots in early December and then inauguration because the Democrats are not going to let this go if they're losing. And frankly, I expect Trump not to let this go if he's losing either. Not to say that he won't leave office, but I think he will challenge this with every legal capacity he possibly can, including getting some of these later ballots that were cast and received after Election Day thrown out because we've all known for months now that we were going to be casting our votes by mail. If you didn't get it in on time, I'm sorry. That's what we have deadlines for. You had plenty of time to fill out your ballot. Mine was sitting around my apartment for weeks before I actually cast it, and I cast it a full month ahead of time. So no one had any excuses unless, I guess, there are some legitimate excuses if you didn't get a ballot or whatever the case may be. Those people I understand. Everybody else which is the vast majority of people, you had no excuse. If you cared so much, you would have gotten your damn ballot in. Mind you, there are a lot of people, by the way, that apparently are searching to find out whether or not they could change their votes. And I cannot imagine under any circumstances that anyone looking to change their vote is going to change it from Donald Trump. If he didn't do something to piss you off in the last four years, I highly doubt he did something to piss you off in the last week that was worthy of making you change your vote. So anybody out there looking to change their vote is probably looking to change their vote from Joe Biden to presumably Donald Trump or, hey, anyone else would be a better candidate. So let's get back on track here. I have said for, I've said for weeks here, that Joe Biden needs Pennsylvania. He needs it. He needs it so bad. I have seen a couple of different routes where Donald Trump can potentially win this without Pennsylvania. And mind you, Pennsylvania's got a grand total of 20 electoral votes, and Trump won last time by having 36 electoral votes more than he needed, or 35, I guess, technically more than he needed. So, actually, no, it's 36. Yeah, 36 more than he needed. So if he had lost Pennsylvania even last time around, he still would be the president today. But if if you look at these nine states that I've levied out here, the two biggest states by electoral votes are Florida and Pennsylvania. So if Trump can pluck those two off the board, as I've said for weeks here, it will cut off Joe Biden's oxygen. It will, it will allow Joe Biden to fall into a scenario where he will basically have to not only, he will have to run the board almost entirely from the rest of the states, but more importantly, he's going to have to go into states that I believe are leaning Trump and win, and win all of the toss-ups, including some of the ones that are leaning him. So here's the scenario. My baseline of before, 187 to 212, but let's add, um, I'm sorry, 187 to 216 was the official baseline count, Biden 216, Trump 187. Now let's add Florida. We're dead tied at 216. Now let's add Pennsylvania. Trump is up 20. So 236 to 216 is where we find ourselves if Trump can win both Florida and Pennsylvania. That leaves Arizona, Michigan, Minnesota, Nevada, North Carolina, Ohio, and Wisconsin. And Joe Biden needs to win a lot of those in order to get to 260, whereas Donald Trump basically only needs to win two. So Arizona currently leaning Trump. Michigan is is a bit of a toss-up, in my opinion anyway. I, I'm seeing the polls from Trafalgar. They got it right the last time. I'm seeing all of the other polls saying that Biden's up by a, a pretty significant margin. My game-changer in Michigan is A, John James, who is running for Senate, I believe, in Michigan. Young, vibrant, African-American conservative guy. He could be very well the future of the party. He's 
definitely the type of guy that can that could reach out to certain communities that Republicans historically have not done well with and try to at least take a portion of that vote. And with the portion of that vote, and yes, we're talking about the black vote, right? Like, And, and for that matter, the minority vote across the board. As John James dips into that crowd, in the same way that I think Kim Klasick is doing in Maryland, although Maryland is a lost cause, so Kim Klasick won't necessarily be able to drag a, a victory out of Maryland for Trump. But I think Michigan can. I think Trump and James have a very mutually beneficial relationship there where Trump has been saying, I've been doing more for the black community. John James is obviously of the black community. And the two of them kind of working in conjunction with one another, I think can win over a lot of Minnesota voters. And I think a lot of those Minnesota voters are being captured by the Trafalgar group polling where they are not in other instances because of things like the neighbor question and things like um, taking into account the fact that there is this secret or shy Trump vote that Trafalgar seems to have been able to found to find where the other polling groups have not. So as far as I'm concerned, Michigan is a toss-up. It will be an integral part of this election one way or another. Then we get back to Minnesota, which is a toss-up leaning Biden. Nevada, toss-up leaning Biden. That race has narrowed significantly in the last couple of weeks. North Carolina, leaning Trump. Ohio, heavily leaning Trump. And then Wisconsin, which, like I said before, is leaning Biden. But Joe would need to go in there and somehow capture 54 electoral votes from that group. And there are only about 88, at my quick math here, available, again, assuming from those nine battleground states, Trump is taking Florida and he's taking Pennsylvania. That's the assumption for this particular scenario that I'm painting you here. So Trump up 30, uh, uh, Trump up 20 electoral votes, 236 to 216, 88 on the table, and Biden would need 54 of those 88 in order to turn it all around, whereas obviously Trump would only need about 34 of those particular votes in order to achieve victory, which is basically two of those states. And if you if you if you look at Ohio as leaning Trump, then I guess Trump would need to technically win two more of those states. But two out of the seven uh, or six, if you're going to now in this particular scenario, put Florida, Ohio and Pennsylvania in the Trump column, he would just then need to win two of six, whereas Biden would basically need to win five of those six in order to carry himself across the finish line. Um, it puts Joe Biden in a really tough spot. It basically puts Joe Biden in the same scenario that everyone seems to think Trump is already in. So if you're like me uh, or like many people and you're of the belief that Trump can win Pennsylvania and will win Florida, should he actually win Pennsylvania, it's it basically puts Joe Biden's back up against the wall. And I don't think Joe knows where he is to begin with, so um, I don't know that that really necessarily matters. He might already think he's up against the wall, um, but that would that would really make things very difficult for the Democrats to try to come back from that. I'm not as confident in Pennsylvania. I got to tell you that one has been, when I tell you I've been losing sleep, going back and forth on whether or not Pennsylvania will win. There's a lot of things to consider, right? There's the fracking and the energy. There's the fact that the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette just endorsed Donald Trump today. There's the fact that there's riots going on in Philadelphia, and maybe the crowd in Philadelphia is a little bit smarter than the folks in Wisconsin. No offense, again, to our people in Wisconsin. And they've realized that these riots that they're now experiencing firsthand are a direct result of behavior from Democrat politicians and leaders that has enabled the type of behavior we're seeing from the rioters and the looters in their city. Maybe they're wising up and realizing that this will be the norm under Joe Biden, who will cave to every demand. And under Trump, yeah, we might see some chaos, but at least he's not going to fold to it the way that we basically know Joe Biden will. Also, 
worth considering. Pennsylvania, historically, as I've talked about many times, it's really Philadelphia and the county that Philadelphia resides in versus the rest of the state. So the rest of the state is typically red or leans red, and Philadelphia is blue, bright blue, and more than leaning blue, and they get enough of a voter turnout in the Philadelphia area in order to counteract basically the rest of the state. And that's what historically has carried the state for the Democrats. This time around, first and foremost, they're coming from a deficit because they lost last time around. Second of all, the Republicans have out-registered voters over the last year in particular, but over the last four years especially. And let's look at that Philadelphia area. What do you think is carrying that vote? Well, obviously, it's the Philadelphia urban area. It's the city of Philadelphia, which cities are typically very liberal. But you would think a, a decent chunk of that vote in that area, Philadelphia, a city that is probably got a roughly 30% black population, if there is a lot of movement of black votes to Trump, then that reduces the number of votes that Philadelphia can stack up when versing the rest of the state. So while Philadelphia might seem a little out of reach if you're looking at the mainstream polls, taking into consideration everything I just told you. Trump already won it last time around. The Republicans have out-registered. You got Philadelphia versus the rest of the state. Pittsburgh just went ahead and endorsed Joe, uh, Donald Trump because of all the stuff around the economy, around energy, around fracking, around the oil industry, very important to a lot of the economy of Pennsylvania and very important to a lot of Pennsylvanians in general. So it could go either way. I think there are scenarios that Trump could win without Pennsylvania. Unfortunately, Pennsylvania is going to be our Florida this time around because we're not going to really know unless there's an overwhelming victory for one of these guys who won Pennsylvania until at least the weekend because they have until December, uh, no, I'm sorry, November 6th to actually get their ballots in, even if they weren't postmarked. There's, there's all these kind of screwy variances of the rules that are floating around out there. But from the best of my knowledge, is as long as the ballot is postmarked by November 3rd and is received by November 6th. So if you have to like two day it in order to make sure it gets there, do that. If you're in Pennsylvania and you're voting late, postmarked by November 3rd must be received by midnight on November 6th by your election facility, whatever it may be. So if you could take it to a ballot box, do that. If not, you got to put it in the mail. At this point, I would overnight it or two day it if you're really, really wanting to make sure. It, it might cost you a couple extra bucks, but at least you know your vote will most likely count. I can't unfortunately guarantee that it will because we know there will be plenty of shenanigans, particularly in the swing states like Pennsylvania and in areas like Philadelphia, because let's face it, look outside, there's already chicanery going on in Philadelphia, because if you've listened to this program, you've known for months now that there would be some sort of riot in a few key swing states conveniently the week of the election. It's almost like you're getting tomorrow's news today and that my opinion is in fact right. Just just throwing that out there. All right, getting back on track here. My next scenario I've entitled, It Comes Down to Pennsylvania, Minnesota, and Michigan. So with those nine battleground states that I've been talking about, Arizona, Florida, Minnesota, Michigan, Nevada, North Carolina, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, I took my baseline, which had Trump down 216 to 187. I gave Trump Arizona and Florida and North Carolina and Ohio. So I think Florida and Ohio pretty much locks for Trump. Call me crazy. From there, Arizona and North Carolina, both states he won last time around. And I'm giving Biden Nevada and Wisconsin, which again is the one that I'm pretty sure is going to go to Biden of that list. 
Nevada went to Hillary Clinton. Let's just say it stays there. That puts us at Donald Trump 260 and Joe Biden 232. Now, 260 is 10 shy of where Donald Trump needs to be. So if he can pick off any one of these three states, Pennsylvania, Michigan, or Minnesota, he will win with 270, at least potentially 280. That's a pretty good set up there for Donald Trump if you think that everything will shake out that particular way, meaning it'll come down to those three states, and if Biden does not win all three of them, Biden will lose. Trump has to just win, even if he wins Minnesota, the smallest electorally of those three states at 10 electoral votes, that would put him at 270. Now, there is the scenario where that happens, everything as I just said happens, Michigan and Minnesota, I'm sorry, Michigan and Pennsylvania both go to Biden. Trump gets Minnesota, but let's say he didn't win that one district in Maine. That puts us at a 269 tie, which would unload a whole bunch of chaos. As a matter of fact, I think I have another scenario that brings us exactly that or a couple of different variances of, so we'll hold off on that for now. But just saying that is a possibility, being off by one electoral vote would not be all that crazy. So, the Trafalgar scenario. This is the Trafalgar group. This is the group that I've put a lot of stock in. Again, I think they were more accurate, particularly in some of the state-specific polls in 2016 and 2018, which are the last two electoral cycles. So, they, they have been ahead of all the mainstream polls in the last two cycles. As uh, Robert Cahaley was actually on CNN recently, somebody was grilling him about this saying, how is there such a disparity between our polls and your polls? And Robert Cahaley said, well, I'll take my repu- I'll, you know, I'll take my record in the last two election cycles over your election cycle's record any day. And he'd be correct to do so because he was more accurate in the last two election cycles. So here is what Robert Cahaley thinks will happen. Basically, you take my baseline scenario that I've already painted for you here, and you give Trump Florida, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Arizona, North Carolina and Michigan, and Trump would win 296 to 242. Very close to that best case scenario. I think they gave one state, or I think I'm in the best case scenario, I may have given a couple of states to Trump that they didn't. But this is based on their polling. They think that Trump is ahead in all of those states, Florida, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Arizona, North Carolina, and Michigan giving Trump 296 electoral votes in a cushy win. I wouldn't say necessarily a landslide, um, but definitely a bigger win than anyone is expecting because, let's face it, no one's expecting a win at all. That's still a little bit optimistic for my liking, but I will paint another scenario here that is less optimistic but more in line with where I think this will end up. So that is basically Donald Trump wins everything he won last time around, Plus, and when we look at those battleground states, I'm going to give Trump Arizona, Florida, Michigan. I'm going to give Minnesota to Biden, Nevada to Trump, North Carolina to Trump, and Ohio to Trump, and then Pennsylvania and Wisconsin to Biden. And uh, in this particular scenario, I also gave, oh no, I did mention this, I gave Nevada to Trump, which is a scenario I can foresee. But even if not, he would have a big enough victory here. So if everything just shook out as I claimed there, we're looking at 282 Trump to 256 Biden, and even if he does not win Nevada or, for that matter, Arizona, he would still have enough electoral votes 
to win. So he could, he would win 282 to 256 in this scenario, and there would be a buffer of Nevada or Arizona. Even if he lost Arizona, he would have 271, and that would carry him to victory. So that's a little bit more optimistic, but still, I mean, a little less optimistic, but still a little bit more optimistic than where I think we're headed. So here we are. We are down to it. This is my official pick. And my God, I'm nervous just even getting ready to read this. But I'm calling this the Bergeron scenario. This is how this will all shake out if I believe everything I believe is correct. Here we go. We've got Donald Trump winning everything he won the last time around, except for Pennsylvania and Wisconsin, giving him a victory of 276 to 262. That means of those swing states, Trump wins Arizona, he wins Florida, he wins Michigan, which he won last time, he loses Minnesota, which he lost last time, barely, he loses Nevada, which he lost last time, but he wins North Carolina and Ohio, like he did last time, loses Pennsylvania in this scenario, and Wisconsin, meaning that his 306 loses 30, he's now down to 276, which is six more electoral votes than he will need for a victory, and then the hunt for the rogue electors is on, as that will probably be close enough for the lunatic left out there to try to hunt these people down and try to get them to switch their vote. That would still, in this particular scenario, uh, give him... Actually, nope, I got it here. Yeah, so even with the 276, even though I gave him Nevada, I believe, in this particular instance, which I think... Did I give him Nevada? I did not. No, I gave Nevada to Biden. So basically 276, that's it. There's no buffer. There's no state that he can lose in there that would that would give him any reprieve, except for some of these obviously really small states, which are typically dead red anyway. Like he can lose Wyoming. Not that he would, but he could. He can lose West Virginia, which had been blue for a long time. Uh, I don't think that will be the case this time around. I'm fairly certain, especially when you're looking at the energy sector, the coal, the fracking, all that good stuff. West Virginia relies on that pretty heavily, so much so that even Joe Manchin, their senator, one of their senators, sides with the Republicans in a lot of instances because he knows he pretty much has to because his state is basically red. So that's it. That's what I have is 276 Trump, 262 Biden. Trump wins everything he won the last time around, except he loses Pennsylvania and Wisconsin, and our electoral map does not look all that different than it did in 2016. Um, there are just 30 votes that didn't go to Trump that he didn't need to win in the first place, 276 to 262. But let's get weird. Let's see what happens in like the craziest conceivable scenario. In this scenario, with our not, uh, you basically take my baseline again. So we are at Biden 216, Trump 187. We're going to give Biden Arizona. We're going to give Trump Florida and Michigan. We're going to give Biden Minnesota. Nevada and North Carolina, and let's give Trump Ohio and Pennsylvania, and then Wisconsin to Biden. Folks, that puts us at 270 to 268. This is sort of the scenario I painted before, a very similar one. And like I mentioned, if Trump does not win that one electoral vote in the state of Maine, we could very well end up at a 269 to 269 tie. Boy, doesn't that just feel like this is how this has to end, right? Like, there's a say, all right, so here's 
here's part of my thinking, right? In addition to looking at the facts and looking at the data, I like to take a pic, take a, a step back, take a step back from from even the reality that we find ourselves in, right? Let, let's look back on this on a meta level. It's 2020. Everything has just been wacky as shit this year in particular, but let's face it, for the last four to five years, since Donald Trump came down the escalator, the world has been very different than it was, whether we like it or not. What is the narrative? What is the story of 2020 going to be? Let's look at it 20 years down the line. It's 2040. What are we looking back on? Oh, there was this crazy pandemic, and we almost were in World War Three, and this crazy orange orangutan ended up being the president, and we're going into 2020, and the primary looked like it was sewn up for Bernie, and then all of a sudden they screwed him again, and they did everything they could conceivably do to push this sack of potatoes across the finish line. They call him Joe Biden. He's Kamala's running mate, by the way. You don't believe me. You watch. That's that's literally something he said recently. So what is the narrative going to be? And I feel like with Amy Coney Barrett obviously getting pushed across the finish line for the Supreme Court, congrats to her and her family, by the way. I don't know that I've officially had a chance to do that since uh, since she was confirmed here on air, but um, could she end up being the deciding vote? Because, all right, so if it goes down to 269-269, I think what ends up happening is, obviously, well, there will be plenty of challenges to the votes, right? So that'll be kind of the first layer, will be people on the left and on the right will be challenging votes back and forth in court, trying to get these votes thrown out, trying to get these votes counted in order to try to push their candidate across the finish line. Those cases will, in all likelihood, end up before the Supreme Court, and in that case, there is a five to four conservative majority. No, I don't count John Roberts as a conservative. It is Alito, Roberts, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, and Amy Coney Barrett that would hopefully all side with the president or, for that matter, just side on the side of the law. But in that case, I, I mean, let's face it, I'm very hesitant to believe that the Democrats will actually present any legitimate legal quarrels, whereas the Republicans probably could and will based on the fact that all of these election rules have been changed for no reason whatsoever. You want to cite the pandemic? You cite the pandemic. That's fine. During this pandemic, during the height of this pandemic, they had a primary vote in Wisconsin and there was virtually no spread that resulted from everyone going in person and voting in Wisconsin. We we ignored that study, that, that piece of data altogether and just said, oh no, it's the pandemic. We can't, God forbid, stand six feet apart in a voting line, even though we all damn well know we can because we do it at a grocery store every time we go. Apparently, that was not to be explored. We, we needed to completely alter this election for the purposes of this pandemic, avoiding and ignoring all of the scientific data just because we needed to have a political cudgel to beat Donald Trump and his supporters over the head with and then kind of create a scenario where Donald Trump could run his mouth about voter fraud, which we all know is going to happen on some scale, whether it be massive or not. There are stories after stories virtually every day about somebody getting rid of ballots or buying ballots or check out some of the Project Veritas stuff. They've got people going around buying ballots and, and, and getting people to submit their ballots to them unsigned and, and, and just filling them out themselves and all this sort of craziness. Is it going on on a mass scale? No, it, it, nor is Antifa. That doesn't mean that it's not a problem on a mass scale. You know what I'm saying? At the end of the day, they have all these little splinter cells that are all broken off. Whether or not they're working in conjunction with one another is frankly irrelevant. They're all working towards the same goal and using the same tactics and have the same and, and, and you know, using the same means in order to get there. So whether you want to consider that widespread voter fraud is, again, really neither here nor there. If enough votes are changed because of this fraud, it is wide scale, 
by any general definition of the term. So there you have it, folks. We're, we're, we could potentially have a dead tie at 269, 269. Those are all of my voting scenarios. Again, I'm going to give you my final scenario one last time is that we have Donald Trump winning everything that he won the last time around except for Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, which could very well go to Trump anyway. I'm being a little bit more conservative on that front. Also, even if Trump can win Pennsylvania, I don't know that he can win it by enough to overcome some of the voter fraud stuff that's going on or some of the late ballots that come in, many of which will be fraudulent, I'm sure. And hey, you know what? A couple of these votes come in the wrong way. One state goes one way, one state goes the other way. Pennsylvania could end up being the state that decides this whole thing. However, in the scenario I just painted for you, Donald Trump doesn't need Pennsylvania in order to win. He would win, again, in my in, in the Bergeron scenario here, he would win Arizona, Florida, Michigan, North Carolina, Ohio, and that's it. So even if he loses Minnesota, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin of those nine battleground states, he could still win on election night, presumably, uh, unless there's other states out there besides Pennsylvania that have this delayed vote count going on that are going to be in, in close contention. Pennsylvania might not even matter. Trump could win on election night with 276, and Pennsylvania could still be counting ballots from now until the cows come home. It won't matter because Joe Biden will at best at that point be at 242 electoral votes, and even Pennsylvania's 20 will not be able to carry him across the finish line. So they would have to, through the courts at that point, try to flip some other state. If they could get in and flip Arizona or flip Michigan or do something along those lines, that would be enough for Joe Biden to be able to win the presidency. So Unfortunately, like I said from the get-go, we're looking at a nail-biter. We're looking at a very close margin. We're looking at neither of these guys cracking 200, uh, cracking 300 electoral votes. And we're looking at one or two states that will be heavily contested in the courts that may or may not decide this thing some point in December. Unfortunately, they're going to have to ram it through in order to get it settled before the electors are supposed to cast their votes. And uh, until that time, we're unfortunately going to be kind of left in suspense. But there is a scenario, and I believe the scenario— where Trump wins on election night, and assuming everything holds after the fact, he will re retain the presidency and continue to be the president of the United States. So I've kind of touched on a lot of things. There was a couple points that I wanted to get to on the way out the door. I think I kind of touched on them already, being the rogue electors thing. So with this being as close as it is, with six to eight electoral votes potentially deciding this whole thing, there will be calls for these electors to change their votes and go against the will of the people. It's disgusting that any of these people would do it, but again, it's not out of the realm of possibilities. I believe we had seven rogue electors in 2016. As a matter of fact, I'm gonna I'm gonna fact check that for you. Hold on one second. And I was correct. We did have seven electoral. Uh, uh, we had what they're called faithless electors because they they have no faith apparently in the votes of the people that were supposed to decide these votes. But uh, one of the Electors from Hawaii cast their electoral vote for Bernie Sanders with Elizabeth Warren as the vice presidential candidate. The name of that elector was David Mullenix. Uh, in Texas, two electors went from—they um, changed their—they changed the electoral vote from Trump and Pence to Kasich and Fiorina in one case, and also to Ron Paul and Mike Pence in another. Then we had four electors in the state of Washington that were all Clinton votes that went to Colin Powell or— Colin Powell and Susan Collins, or Colin Powell and Elizabeth Warren for some weird reason, and the Faith Spotted Eagle 
Democrat from North Carolina, which is uh, from from South Dakota, rather, uh, and Native American activist and politician, uh, as well as Winona LaDuke, who would be their vice presidential candidate. And then there was a few that were invalidated. So we basically had 10 electoral votes that were kind of not the way that they were supposed to be uh, initially. So if we have an election that results in the 276-262 outcome that I, I'm thinking will end up happening, that unfortunately leaves the possibility of more faithless electors screwing the American people out of their votes. You want to talk about any part of the Electoral College that's anti-democratic or anti-republic or whatever it is, that part of it is the biggest issue of mine, is that these people should be bound to the vote. As a matter of fact, we should not even have electors going to do the votes at this stage in the game. It's 2020. We have technology. We know these votes are at least as accurate as we can imagine them to be. Uh, you know, conceivably, that's certainly the intention, you would think. Regardless, these electors should not have the ability to just go rogue and turn against the voting populace and just decide that they want to vote for, you know, Spotted Eagle or, or Bernie Sanders or whoever it is, or Bernie Williams for that matter, although Bernie Williams, hell of a guitar player and a center fielder and a switch hitter for that matter. Uh, I was a Yankee fan at once upon a time, and then I got smart. Nevertheless, uh, the Mets now have hope. Thanks, No thanks to Bill de Blasio. That's another topic for another day. We've got the competition of all competitions coming up here on November 3rd. I hope you guys all enjoy. You will be hearing from me next on November 4th, the day after the election come hell or high water. I took off of work, and I will be sitting around watching the election coverage until my eyes bleed on Wednesday, on Tuesday night. Um, we will be doing live debate coverage or live presidential election coverage over on hackerhameen.podbean.com. Our executive producer here, DeAndre Bello, will be on with Strangler Steve King and Billy Ray Valentine to uh, talk about the election as they will be recording their regular wrestling show live during this nonsense. So the likelihood is that they'll be talking a lot about some of the election and uh, and you can get some of their feedback as states are called and the world burns, I presume. But that's just about it for the right opinion here. I hope you enjoyed the election preview extravaganza. I hope my predictions are right. If you've got some of your own, by all means, send me a, a tweet or a direct message or whatever the case may be. Again, the link to my Google Sheets page is in the show notes. You can view it. If you, for some reason, are able to edit it, please don't. Um, <laughs> just take a look at it. You could follow along everything that I'm saying. As a matter of fact, if you wanted to, you could have gone through this whole episode left to right with me as all of the different sheets at the bottom of the page are kind of the order in which the show went. So if you wanted to rewind and follow back and give me another listen, I'd appreciate that. Switch over to another podcatcher, though, just to make sure I get that download. I'd appreciate that. Uh, so that's it, man. 276, 262. Donald Trump retains the presidency. You heard it here first. And uh, hopefully... It is the right opinion, after all, right here on the therightopinion.podbean.com. Be sure to find me on Instagram, on Parler, and on the Twitter, at rightopinionpod. Email the show, therightopinionpod at gmail.com. If you got stories, I have been getting a lot of emails recently from a couple of you guys. I appreciate the hell out of it. As always, uh, I'd like to, on occasion, know that I'm not just talking to myself, although I do go back and listen to the show because... Well, I like the sound of my own voice, and it's hard to blame me after all. Listen to it. It's sultry and luscious and wonderful. <laughs> all right. I've had enough, uh, as I'm sure you have had of me at this point in time. As always, I have to remind you that opinions are like assholes. Everybody's got one but this asshole. 
has the right opinion, and you'll only catch it right here on the right opinion. Podbean.com, HameenMediaGroup.com, RatSaladReview.com, and your podcatcher of choice. Just search the right opinion. It's the one that's black and white and red all over, like the failing New York Times used to be. I'll talk to you next time. I'm Harrison Bergeron. Peace. Be the elephant in the room in a room full of elephants. Be the elephant in the room in a room full of elephants. Boom. Boom.